It was January 23, 1994. I was sitting on the back pew of a church in Pearl, Mississippi, by the name of Sweet Rest Church of Christ Holiness. It was at a Sunday night and 6 o'clock service. Earlier that day, my friends would come to my house during dinner time, and they would say to my family that that was the day that they gave their lives to Jesus Christ. And they came, and as they walked in, uh, they walked in while we were having dinner, and we got up from the table, and as we were hugging and congratulating, my two best friends in that moment turned around and looked at me in the presence of all my family and said, two down, pointed to me and said, one to go. That night sitting in church, I didn't hear a word the pastor preached. Because throughout the whole sermon, I was literally doing business and wrestling with God. The voice of God was speaking to me so heavy that night. And the tradition was, after the sermon, I knew that he would open up the doors of the church, if you will, and he would ask the question, is there anyone in this place that wants to give their life to Jesus Christ tonight? And I knew that that moment was coming, and I knew that when that moment came, it was my turn to respond in the way that I had been wrestling with God about. All throughout service, I was sitting there wrestling, figuring out, what was I going to do? What was I going to do? And midway, I said, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And then he preached another 20 minutes. And I was like, oh boy, here we go. And I'll never forget it. And he said, if anyone wants to come, come. And I was sitting back there on that back row and I was sitting next to my best friend. And I turned to my friend and I said, well, here we go. And I stood up and began to walk down that aisle. And as I was walking, uh, uh, the more I got closer, the, the, the more I moved forward, people would begin to see and they would begin to applaud. And I remember thinking, all right, now God, I'm going up here, but I'm just going to go get saved real quick. This is not going to be some big emotional event. This is it's not about to be no drama. You have to watch the campaigns to get the drama. It's no drama tonight. So I'm just thinking, I'm going to walk up here, give my life to Jesus real quick, and we're going to call it a night. We're going to go to Starbucks and get some coffee or something, you know? Although they didn't have Starbucks in my neighborhood in 94, but follow me, all right? <laughs> so I'm walking, and as I'm walking, the closer I get to the front, the more people see, and the applause just begins to get louder. And I'm still thinking, I'm not about to cry. That ain't going to happen. There's too many cute girls in here for me to be crying tonight. I'm just going to walk up here, give my life to Jesus. And something happened, friends. Literally, as I passed that final pew, the pastor was standing right here. And as I passed that final pew, something happened. It was as if there was a weight that I didn't even realize I had that I was carrying. And all of a sudden, as I passed that last pew, it was as if 500 pounds had been lifted off of me. And I literally fell into the pastor's arms. And the tears began to flood my face. And he embraced me. And I cried and I cried and I cried in his arms because I had been overwhelmed by the power and the grace of God. Oh, what a happy day. When Jesus washed my sins away, he literally, he literally rescued me, literally pulled me out of the grips of sin, literally brought me, saved me from the enemy that was in a me. Not only did he save me from the world, but he saved me from myself, my own ideas, my own way of living. He said, Albert, you deserve better than what you're willing to give even you. So he literally rescued me. Never forget that night. In our passage today, friends, David has literally just been rescued by the hand of God. 
David is literally, his life has literally just been snagged from death's door. David was uh, under heavy persecution by Saul and David running, running from Saul. He ended up in a place where he should not be. And he got caught and King Abimelech found him hiding there in his, in his territory, hiding there in his area. And, and, and David was found out and they, they suspected David to be a spy. Uh, they knew David had this reputation of being a war. They didn't know if he was setting up a scheme to destroy their nation. They didn't know what was happening. So King Abimelech brought him and uh, I, I'm sure he was facing death. I'm sure he, he was facing, uh, facing prison. I'm sure he was facing something that he did not want to engage. So David uh, did what my little daughter uh, Zoe has learned to do, uh, David starts acting like a madman. Uh, just parenthetically, a little side note here, if anybody got some remedies of how I can make my two-year-old want to go to bed, I really appreciate that because when it's time for bedtime, she acts like a madwoman. She, she begins to, I mean, because she knows we pray every night before we go to bed, so I'm thinking we should start praying at another time because whenever I say it's time to pray, she starts crying and saying, no, no. And as a pastor, that's a little scary. You can understand. <laughs> it's not good. I mean, we got some problems here. But, but, but David goes before King Abimelech, and he acts like a madman. And King Abimelech says, I've got enough madmen in, my, in, my, in the temple already. I don't need any extra. So he dismisses David. And David gets away with it. And he literally escapes from this persecution. Literally, God rescues him. Friends, this passage, as we, as we begin to dig into it, we need to understand that this is David's response to a God who rescues. Anybody in here ever been rescued by the hand of God? Ever, ever felt the saving grace of God? Have you ever got a glimpse of where you should be headed, where you knew you were going to be headed and you had already prepared to be there, a place that you weren't excited about? Have you ever begun to just really wrestle and accept the consequences only to see the grace of God come and snatch you from the place that you deserved? We serve a God who literally rescues us. And the question is, how do we respond to such a God? Well, friends, in Psalm 34, David responds. Fresh from being rescued by the hand of God. You can almost hear him breathing heavy. You can almost hear him weary from running. Just <sighs> David speaks in Psalm 34 and he says these words. Stand with me as we read them. David, fresh from being rescued, he says, I will extol the Lord at all times and his praise will always be in my, on, on my lips. Can't you hear that? I, I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. Verse 2, my soul will make her boast in the Lord and, and let the afflicted hear and rejoice. And then verse 3, he says, glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Oh, I love this one. It says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. 
Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and weary, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, 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 my children, listen to me. I will teach you to fear the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close. I love it. I love it. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And save those who are, here it is, crushed in spirit. A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems his servants. No one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. And this is our Father's word. Amen. This is David's response to a rescuing God. And he responds with celebration. You, you, you can just hear it, can't you? The, the celebration, the excitement. There's no way that you can be boring and engage in this psalm. I will, I will bless the Lord at all times and his praises shall continually be in my mouth. Ding. You know what I mean? It's no way. He's saying, I will bless the Lord at all times. This isn't some moment. This isn't some 11 o'clock hour experience. This isn't for an hour on Sunday morning, but this is a way of life for me. I will bless the Lord at all times and his praises shall continually be in my mouth. Every time I open my mouth, his praises will flow forth from me. Why? Because he rescued me. He saved me and he deserves our praise. Our celebration, our intentional act to show gratitude. As we look at David's song, we see that his celebration isn't some empty, shallow celebration, but, but, but there are many elements that make up his celebration. There, there are many areas. As a matter of fact, there are three areas because when you're preaching, you've got to have three. Uh, so there are three areas that make up this celebration. And as we look at these three areas, I pray that as we come together and as we celebrate God and in our day-to-day life, as we worship and as we celebrate God, that we would search our hearts for these three areas areas in our own life as we celebrate and give God glory as our response for his saving, his rescuing grace. Number one, this first area is this idea of community. That's community in his celebration. Listen, watch, watch this with me. Look at it. Verse one, I will extol the Lord at all times and his praise shall continually be on my lips. My soul will make her boast in the Lord. And here, here it is. He says, let the afflicted hear and rejoice. He says, I, I, I want to praise God, not just for me, not just so God can get glory, but so that those who are afflicted among us will, will, will hear the great things about our God and that they will see, and in spite of their affliction, rejoice. 
it, it impacts those who are going through many times on a Sunday morning like this. It's our hope and our prayer that we will come to this place and we worship God, not just for your own personal experience, but I am convinced, friends, that there are those who walk through those doors who are on the verge of giving up. I am convinced that there are couples who walk through those doors and steps away from the divorce court, steps away from calling the divorce lawyer. But as they gather and as we worship and as they look around a room like this and see many lifting their hands and praising God, that that worship, that that praise, here it is, that that joy would be infectious. That they would experience the hope of God as we worship God. That they could look at each other and grab hands that couple and say, I think we can hold on. I think, I think there, there's some hope for us. I don't know about you, but I feel better. Have, have, you ever, have you ever been down in the dumps and got a phone call from a friend? And the friend had no idea that what you were going through, had no idea about your struggle. And they didn't even ask you. They just started talking and, and, and they got to talking about the goodness of the Lord. And without you exposing any area of struggle in your life, you hung up the phone and you said, I feel better. I think I can go on. When you bless the Lord at all times, there are those who are afflicted that will hear and that will see the greatness of God through your praise, through your worship, through your life, and that they will rejoice. I love it. Paul goes on. Look at it with me. David goes on. Look at it with me. He says, my soul will will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. And then I love it. Verse 3, he says, glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I don't want this to just be this experience with me. This isn't about me. As we come and as, as Jeremy and as all of John Stuttgart and as DeRoe and as, as week to week we're led in worship, they don't stand here and say, come and experience me. Come and listen to me. Come, take a seat and just watch me worship. It's not about me, but they call and they say, come, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. This is a corporate experience. Let's experience God together. I'm not satisfied with it just being me and God. Huh? Did you just say that? Yes. This community is about This celebration is about community, friends. It's not enough just for me to experience the greatness of God, but it's important for my sisters and my brothers to experience the greatness of God. And it's through my life and my commitment of blessing His name that I pray and that I hope that as we come in and experience each other from Sunday to Sunday, that it will be infectious and that we would encourage each other to rejoice, that it will make an impact on our lives. Finally, verse 8, I love this one. He says, as, as if to say they're not convinced. It's almost as if, you, it's like, y'all listening to me, but y'all really not convinced. Kind of like this morning. Y'all kind of looking at me a little funny so far. I'm not in there yet, but I'm working on it. it it's, it's almost as if, it's almost as if say, y'all, y'all not convinced yet. You don't believe me? Oh, taste and see. Oh, taste and see that the, you don't believe, try it for yourself. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. As I thought about this, I thought about this uh, illustration. Uh, I, I remember being a little boy, uh, Growing up, and my mother would always cook cakes, and I remember sitting in there, and she'd have her little apron on, and, and, and I would watch her cooking cakes, and I remember I would be amazed at, at the process of cooking the cake, all right? We're going to come off this. I figured y'all would be moving a little slow, so I decided we'd have a little segue. This is the Albert Tate cooking show. Is that all right? <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome. All right. All right? So, so I would watch her. I would watch her. <laughs> I don't know. All right. So I would watch her, and, and I would be thinking, 
How in the world can all this nasty stuff turn out to be something good? Have you ever thought about the ingredients of a cake? Let's take it here. We got, we got this. Come, come on, Zach. Let's look at this. We got, first of all, we got a stick of butter. When was the last time sitting in traffic, coming home, you were like, man, I can't wait home, wait till I get home so I can have me a good old stick of butter. Oh, when was the last time you did that? Nobody does that, right? You, we, we, got, we got sour cream. Some people like sour cream, but not this guy. You know what I mean? I don't say I want to, you know, I love to have a scoop of sour cream right now. If you got some baked potatoes to go with it, you know? Or, or what about this one? You got, you, got, you, got, you got vegetable oil. When was the last time you said, boy, when I get home, can't wait to take me a shot of vegetable oil? You, you know what I mean? First of all, I don't even know what a shot is. Dwayne Thunderbird told me what that was. I didn't even know what that was. I didn't even... I didn't know what a shot was. Mississippi, we, the shot, you get shot, but I didn't know you could take a shot. You know, that's Dwayne, you know. Or, or what about flour? When was the last time you were like, oh, man, shoot. With my, with, my, with my oil, give me a side of flour, you know? Nobody just sits and chews on flour. And we got Duck and Hines. We got cake mix. Nobody takes a scoop of this. You know what I mean? It's like, who... I'm not doing that. You know, it's like, who, who does that? Or raw eggs. I mean, Rocky did it in the movie, but he had a stunt double. You know, nobody, nobody's going to drink egg yolks. It's, you got vanilla flavoring and sugar. I mean, that's good. But it's, it's like all these things independently of each other, they're nasty. And friends, as we look at different issues and different circumstances in our life, if, if we look at them individually, they won't be encouraging. If you just look at the cancer, if you just look at the cancer, you would think that this, this is a hopeless situation. This is a nasty situation, and I don't see how any of this thing is going to work together for good in my life. If you, just look at the, if you just look at the divorce, if you just look at the problems in the marriage, you'll never be able to see beyond that, and, and, and you will never be satisfied with where you are. If you just look at the, at the foreclosure of the house, if you just look at the financial tr- problem, problems, you will never, ever be encouraged past what you see. But my mom showed me, she said, no, 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 son, you don't, you don't just look at them individually. But as you make a cake, you take them and you, and you mix them all together. And she, she, would, she, would have some, she would have some batter. And she would take them and she would all pull them in and she'd pull out her mixer. And she would take the mixer and she would begin to take the butter, the sour cream, the oil, the flour, the cake mix, the eggs, the vanilla, the, the sugar. And she would take it and she would begin to mix it all up and she would put it in and she would begin to stir it. She would begin to mix it. And as she would begin to mix it, there was a transformation that began to take place. That stick of butter then began to break down and it began to blend in with the sour cream. And where that oil was real thick at first, it began to thin out and begin to, begin to spread into the rest of the mix. And this mixture began to come together in a whole new form. And friends, what I'm saying today is God, it, it, it's not just the cancer, it's not just the divorce, but you've got to realize that God is up to something so much bigger. And when you take all of those things and you mix them in and you take the hand of God's grace and mercy and the mixture of and the mixture of his sovereignty, he begins to mix your life together. You don't believe me? Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that all things work together for the good. What is he doing? What about the divorce? He's working it together. What about the foreclosure? He's working it together. What about the problems with the kids? He's working it together. What about the money struggles? He's working it together. He's working it together. He's working all those things together for your good. You've got to be able to look past the margarine and see the greatness of God. My mother, 
This is the best part of the cake. She would take it. She would take the little mixer. And I've just sitting there, been, been cynical and just suspect the whole time. And she would take the little thing. And this is the best part of cooking cakes. It's not the cake. It's when you're in there mixing and she hands you the little mixer. She, she hands you the little mixer. And it was almost as if to say, she was almost say, here, now taste it. It's good. And what I'm saying to you today is that God will take all of these things. David's challenge. He says, if you're not convinced, I dare you to look beyond the cancer. Look beyond the struggle. Look beyond the area of your life that you can't see past. Look beyond those things. Trust God. Allow his hand of grace and mercy and his sovereignty to mix it all together and taste it. It's good. Verse 8 says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. Y'all should clap or something right there. That was, a, that was a pause. Yeah. It was a lot of work. <laughs> Our celebration is about community. And friends, as we come together as a community, it's important that there, there are people sitting in here who've overcome cancer. There's a couple in here who that was a season, yeah, you were all on the verge of divorce. As a matter of fact, you identified the lawyers, but the sovereignty and the grace of God impacted your marriage. And there may be somebody sitting right over here that needs to hear you say, I know it's rough, but taste and see. He's good. Give it to God. I know, I know what the doctor says, but trust me, you got to see beyond the margarine, got to see beyond the cancer. I'm t- I was right there. I got the same report, but I'm here to challenge you. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Our celebration has got to be about our community. God will use our celebration. He'll use your story to encourage someone who's on the verge of giving up. Oh, taste and see. That the Lord is good. Secondly, uh, that it's, it's, not, it's, it's not only this idea of celebration, but it's this idea of fear and reverence. Our, our, our celebration should have fear and reverence. Look at verse 9 with me. It says, Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. Uh, uh, the lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Now, this could be a dangerous verse living in the time that we live in now, because we have many churches that we've talked about many times before that have this, this bless me, bless me theology that where, 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 where pastors will stand in the pulpit and say, life is about you having the big car, the big house, the big wife. I mean, well, not the, not the last one. Sorry. Not unless you're into that. I mean, I don't know. I was just, uh, I'll go back to the scripture. Okay. Um, but, 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 but it's not this idea of you getting more stuff. It's not this idea of you having everything you want. But I can't help but go back to Psalm 23 where David says, The Lord is my shepherd, therefore I shall not want. It's this idea of shepherd. In my view, as I see God as my shepherd, the nature of a shepherd is what? He provides for me. He protects me. He cares for me. He loves me. He covers me. And when, I, when, when the Lord is that in my life, there's no need for me to want anything outside of the shepherd. D- do you understand what I'm saying? So when the Lord is your shepherd, when he is your source, there is nothing outside of him that I desire or want. Because of who he is, I don't want anything outside of who he is. I don't desire anything outside of his will for my life. Because of who he is, I shall not want. That, that affects our reverence, our honor, and as we worship God. And here it is. I love verse 11. It's almost as if he says, come, now let me teach you. 
Because there may be those of you that, 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 are, that don't understand what this fear thing means. He says, come, my children, verse 10, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. I will teach you what this looks like. Uh, and he goes into this list of things. Verse 10, he says, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. I couldn't help but think what my grandmother used to say. She says, if you, if you, if you ain't got nothing good to say, don't say nothing at all. Now, for some of you, I know that that means you'll be walking around like this. That may be good for you. God, God, basically David is saying, if, if you want to honor the Lord, and if you want to have this fear, this reverence for the Lord, have control of your mouth. Have control of your mouth. Because there, there have been times when I've lost control of my mouth. Like earlier when I said Dwayne was taking shots, I lost control. Now, <laughs> But but I remember being a little kid. You, you remember being a little kid and, and you would say stuff like under your breath that wasn't supposed to be heard outside of under your breath. But every now and then you'll forget to hit the under your breath button and you would say it out loud. Like my mom was like, go clean up your room. And I was like, hmm, so stupid. It's like, what you say? And I was like, did I say that out loud? <laughs> I just lost control, you know. Friends, we can do so much damage to each other. By losing control of what we say, by tearing one another down or, or, or discouraging one another or gossiping and backbiting. David says, if you, want to, if you want to honor the Lord, if you want to fear the Lord with reverence, take control of your mouth. Not only don't tear one another down, but don't deceive one another. Don't lie to one another. This next one says, I love it. It says, turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Friends, this is so very important uh, to shape our worship and our reverence to God. Sin is serious. And sin is very real. And if you want to experience the fullness that comes with God, we have to turn from sin. There'll be those that would say, well, no, nobody can be perfect, and we use that as an excuse to have active sin taking place in our life. And I'm here to tell you that's not Bible. That's not scripture. He's clearly saying, turn from sin. Turn away from your evil ways. Don't expect this joy of the Lord to flood your soul when you actively pursue sin in your life. It doesn't come. The package does not include an active pursuit of sin. Are there times when we fall? Yes. Are there times when we make mistakes? Yes. Will we always struggle with sin until Jesus comes back? There will be things that we will always struggle with. Jesus encourages. He says, you have a cross. Even Paul himself in chapter 7 of Romans has this wrestling taking place even within himself. So I'm not saying it's a life of perfection in the sense of without failure. But you understand that there are those who may leave this place and actively pursue sin. And I'm saying no. It, the idea here is turning from sin. Uh, 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 Dwayne, will you, will you come help me real quick? Will you, will you, will, Dwayne, I only got a few minutes. You know, we get out in an hour. Come on now. All right. Would you, would you be sin for me? Oh, of course. Okay. All right. Uh-huh. I know it'd be, I know it'd be hard. I'm sorry. You know, with shot glasses. All right. Okay. All right. Okay. 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 All right. And, and Randy, would, would you come, would you come over here for me? Would you come on the other side? Stay away from sin. Don't even get close. Just walk. Just pass by. Pass by. <laughs> Randy, would you, would you come over on this side? Dwayne, come, come here a little closer. Let's say Dwayne is sin. You dress for the job. That's good. Black. Okay? Let's say Dwayne is sin. Stand here. And it's this idea of, 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 of if I'm engaged in sin and God is calling me, he's saying, Albert, you have to turn from sin. Now, not, now this, here's the problem. It's not a 360 turn. It's not sin. <laughs> 
Oh, sin. You know, no, 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 no. But many of us, although we laugh, many of us are stuck in a cycle like that. We're trying to turn away. We're trying to go. But it seems like we're on this consistent cycle where the same thing, the same problem, the same sin, we find ourselves going right back around. No, David is not saying a 360, but he's saying a 180. He's saying turn from sin. But I love this next part. And he says, do good. Because if all we did was turn from sin, then I'm still here. And sin is still close, right? I'm not necessarily in him, but he right there. Hit that. We still right there together. You know what I mean? It's not far. We still kind of engage. He can still talk. We, but he says, turn from sin and do good. Go after good. I remember just as a little boy, uh, you, you ready for me. See, good is always ready. Good is always ready. I remember when I was a little boy, uh, right after that night in 1994, we started a little Christian rap group. And I mean, I'm just getting saved, just fresh Still on, on very small amounts of milk, just Similac, you know, just on, on, on baby's milk as a Christian. But I'm out, and now they have us coming to churches talking to y- young kids. And we're coming, and we're going, and we're rapping at churches. We're doing little raps and stuff like that. And so here I am, just a little Christian, turning from sin, and I'm out going around churches and doing good. I'm like, hip-hop, it don't stop coming to rock the kingdom of God. It don't rock. You know what I mean? It's like, that was good. That was a nice rap. I just made that up. Come on, y'all. Come on now, let's, let's see Waybright do that. Come on, give me a little credit here. Actually, he will rap. I have heard stories. But, but, but it's this idea of, of not just turning from sin, but going and doing the work of good and going to do good. And friends, that's what helps break the cycle. David is saying, don't just turn from sin, but go pursue and do good. Get your hands busy doing the work and building the kingdom of God. And that'll prevent this cycle that continues with sin. That'll prevent this cycle. Turn from sin and do good. Give sin and good a, a round of applause. Did a good job. <laughs> finally, 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 our, our celebration, we see David has a sense of community. He also has a sense of reverence and honor, this fear that affects how he lives. Thirdly, verse 15, look at it with me. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous... And his ears are attentive to their cry. Verse, verse 17, jump down. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. Verse 18, here it is. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Friends, what I'm about to say goes totally countercultural to the way that we live. We live in an I society where it's all about me. Uh, One of the biggest computer companies in the world, uh, Apple. It's all about iPod, iPhone, uh, iMac. It's it's all about, and basically just saying, it's all for you. It's all about you. Burger King, you can have it your way. It's all about your way. And even at the Olympics, at the Olympics, we saw this theme to where this whole, I mean, I enjoyed watching the Olympics, but there, there were parts of it that was a little depressing. Because you would have one winner, one person gets the gold, and you would have these people that had spent the last four or even eight years building up to this moment, and some of them just by a slip, just by a, a millisecond, I didn't even know them kind of seconds get the, got that small, but old dude lost by one of them. You know, it's like, wow, I didn't even know we could count that far. You know, but that's a different story. I studied Bible, not algebra. But anyway, but it's this idea that... This idea that you could, you could build up and you can spend your whole life investing in something and by one second you miss it and you're disqualified. 
And the one who wins gets all the celebration. The one who wins the gold gets all the, all, all, the, the one who's the strongest gets all the applause. They get the gold. Lolo Jones, this wonderful track athlete, was in the lead of the race, hit the hurdle in the last moment and lost. Didn't even place. I thought that was so depressing. And we live in a world where we honor the ones who win. What about the guy that got sixth place? I mean, that's still good. Sixth in the world. He don't get an interview. He can't talk, he can't get on the early morning show. He don't get nothing, you know? Listen, the guy in the little small country that was just glad to go out of town for the weekend. He can't even say, hey, mom. You know, I mean, they, they get absolutely nothing. We celebrate the strong and pay no attention to the weak. Well, friends, it was a different story in 1992 at the Olympics where this young man by the name of Derek Redman. Many of you probably have heard this story. It's a young man by Derek Redman. We have a clip of him and his race. And he was running this race uh, here at the 92 Olympics. And Derek, just like everyone else, started running and he was shooting for first place. Made up in his mind that he would spend the last four years and it all lays up to this moment right here. And he's in hot pursuit of the gold. And as he was running, something snapped in his leg and he fell to the floor. The last four years, all the hours of training flashing before his eyes and the gold Second place, third place. But we look back and we see Derek hopping. In spite of the pain, Derek has committed himself to finishing the race. And watch what happens. The crowd begins to pay attention not to the one who's won gold, but to the weak one. They begin to stand up and applaud. And Derek Redman's father rushes down to the track and comes alongside of him and grabs him and finishes the race with him. Now all of the cameras, all of the applause, all the eyes have left the guy who won first place and have now come to Derek Redman. Even the Olympic officials, the Olympic officials will come up and they try to get Derek's father. They're saying, this is the Olympics, so you've got to get off the court. You've got to get off the track. But Derek's father probably... <laughs> Derek's father probably says something that we can't say in 9 a.m. service. (laughs) Derek's father says, Derek, we started this race together, and we're going to finish it together. Look at the camera. Look at the focus. Look at the attention. It's gone from the strong to the weak. Friends, this is what David is saying. Don't get consumed with the pursuit to be strong. He tells Paul this in Philippians. He says, Paul, it's only in your weakness can my strength be made perfect in your life. Some of you have been fighting this because the goal has been to be strong. But I'm here to tell you, I want to give you permission. In your celebration and in your worship, you have got to be weak. Read verse verse 18. Read it. Read it. Look at it with me. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Friends, according to the power of this passage, I give you the freedom. I give you permission. Be brokenhearted. Be weak before God. Be crushed in spirit because the Lord is close to those who are crushed and broken in spirit. 
I close with this final statement. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. You ever thought about that? All the king's horses and all the king's men. Why did they call the king? Why, why did they spend time calling the king's horses and calling the king's men? Why did they call the king? Look at, look at what David says. Verse 19. A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. Humpty Dumpty should, should, should have benefited from this passage. The righteous have many troubles, but it's the king who delivers from them all. Friends, as we leave this place today, I pray that in response to God's grace, his rescuing power in our life, that we would celebrate. That we would celebrate in community. We'd celebrate in fear and reverence. But finally, that we would learn to celebrate from the freedom of of weakness. It's okay to be broken. It's okay to be crushed. As a matter of fact, he encourages it. As John comes, as we sing this final song of the, of the morning, I want you to hear the words. Hear the words of this psalm in this song where David consistently says, the righteous cry out. The righteous cry out. Friends, my brothers and sisters, I don't care what you're going through today. I want to encourage you to look past the margarine, look past the cancer, look past those issues in your life and know that God is up to something bigger and that as the righteous, you can cry out to the Lord. Broken, crushed, we cry out to God. Why? Because He is good. He is a good God. He's sovereign. And although many are the afflictions of the righteous, but we know that the King will deliver us from them all so we can cry out for He is good to His glory. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now God, as John leads us, we cry out to you broken hearted, broken spirit with great fear and reverence that impacts the way that we live that impacts how we live and with community with consideration for the brothers and sisters who are sitting next to us on this pew God we cry out for you are good 